Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. You know, our service uh, this weekend and for the next few weekends is going to be what we call an intimate encounter uh, because God works in a couple ways of transforming our lives. He does it in encounter and He does it in process. Uh, encounter are those moments where we receive a revelation or we get a perspective. I don't know if how you track growth in uh, the kingdom, but I'll tell you how I've come to understand when I'm growing. When something's taking root and taking shape in my life, it's when my perspectives begin to shift, when my mindset begins to shift, when my language starts to come into alignment, I begin to see myself as God sees me and I, and I start to speak it, and then my actions. Uh, sometimes we get those reversed, right? Our, our behavior, that's, uh, that's what we go after. But God's after changing and shifting our perspectives. And so we, we need encounter moments. We need those moments where God just speaks to us. He shows us something. It's a moment where we get to think about our thinking. Sometimes we can get into a mode where we're just taking in information. But I want you to really think about your thinking. Those of you who are joining us online and those in this room, I want you to take out these notebooks, these little journals, um, because this is an opportunity for you to really write down some questions and then to write down what your thinking has been specific to those questions. Um, there, that other part I talked about, right, process is, uh, I know we all would, would love it if we could just do one sit-up and then have six-pack abs. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. There's, there's things that take time and process. Luke 13 talks about it, right? Dig around, fertilize. Give it a year, give it time, and those things will take shape in us. Um, one of those encounter moments came to me several years ago when my, my youngest son was four. Uh, Jackson was four years old, and he came running to me late at night, and he's like, Dad, Dad, you'll never believe it. Guess what? I'm growing. I'm growing. And I was, like, super excited with him. Like, this is awesome. It's great, buddy. How do you know that you're growing? And he said this. He said, because I have pain in my legs. I have pain in my legs. I have growing pains. When he said it, there was something that just shifted my perspective. Let me read this passage to you because that was a very mature thing for him to say. Hebrews 12, 7 through 13, it says, endure hardship as discipline. So here's a question for you to write down. How do you view hardship? How do you view difficult circumstances? Look at what scripture goes on to say. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. No amens on that, huh? But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So here it is. Severity is not the point. 
Discipline is not the point. What God is doing in us in situations and circumstances, when we grab the right perspective, when we're growing, is we begin to understand that God is restoring our humanity. He is restoring us to the intended purpose for which he created us. And we're going to talk about this, but whatever holiness is, it says that it does a work of healing in us. And there is something that God is getting after. For those of us who, f- who follow after Jesus, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, or we're going to ask ourselves that question, what is God after in us? What does it mean? And what impact does being a Christian or a follower of Jesus, what is it supposed to do? And we'll look at that. Now, we're going to look at one passage, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions in regards to it, all right? So it's Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. You can write it down. Uh, But what we're going to do is we're going to dig into some of the questions that are here. So here's how it starts. How blessed is God? I'm reading out of the message translation. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. We're going to stop right there. Question, write it down in your book. What is Jesus the master of? What is Jesus the master of? In your thinking, in your world, if you're writing on your phone or if you're at home writing on a piece of paper, in your heart, in your thinking, what is Jesus the master of? Now, during this time, I've had an opportunity to, uh, at a discounted rate, take some master classes, all right? So how many of you, you've heard of a master class before, I'm sure? Well, I decided that I would take a master class on barbecue. I'm, for some reason, at this stage of my life, I'm just really interested in barbecuing, all right? So I, t- I decided to take a master class from two gentlemen. One is, his name is Aaron Franklin from Franklin Barbecue in Austin, Texas. He's world-renowned, award-winning uh, barbecue pit master. And the other is a guy by the name of Matt Pittman, appropriately named as a barbecue guy. And he uh, runs a business called Meat Church. Can't, kind of stirred my heart a little bit. All right. Now, I sat under both of these classes And I watched and I observed and participated and I practiced because I was learning from individuals who were masters. Now, this is is similar in nature. And for most of us, we don't fully grasp or understand the educational system that Jesus uh, was a part of, that that the culture he was a part of, uh, we we just don't know it. It's foreign to us. When we think of being a disciple, we, we... have this tendency to think pupil or learner. And so it means we consume and take in information as opposed to being an apprentice. So Jesus would have been a part of the educational system, which started with Bet Sefer, which was at six years old, learning to quote, memorize, and regurgitate and say back the first five books of the Bible. Can you do that? At six? I could barely pass second you know, level of my spelling bee. Anyway, so this is the system. Then then the the next part was to learn the Tanakh or the Hebrew scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, then to move on to be uh, invited in to um, a a rabbi, to be a Talmudim, which is somebody who would then follow and listen and watch and operate. And so you and I are are brought in to the master. Think uh, dojo. Think, uh, you know, there's an instructor, a sensei at a dojo. That's karate. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, the word dojo means a place of the way. 
And so you have students, and they watch, and they observe, and they learn, and then they participate. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus. Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine puts them into practice. So, again, what is he the master of? Identity? Forgiveness? Love? Life? Life in the kingdom? Yeah, a lot of things. And so he invites us to follow him and to practice. How many of you know forgiveness requires a lot of practice? I mean, I, I have practiced. I'm getting better. But, you know, it takes practice. It's not just something that we just, oh, great, forgive everybody. Yeah, 70 times 7, got it, you know. Sometimes our approach is that way. So Jesus invites us in. All right, let me, let me go on here. Now it says, long before he laid earth's foundation, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Christ, what pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all our misdeeds. Someone at least should say amen to that. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and every. One, that is a passage worth writing down and studying again and again and again. So here's another question for you. What is Christianity supposed to do to a person? What's your answer? What's it supposed to do to a person? I mean, there is a lot in this passage, but I'm going to just take Ephesians 1, 4 there. Now, it says, long before he laid down earth's foundation, long before... He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. Here it is, to be made whole and holy by his love. That brings up some really great thoughts and questions, but as you know that God's desire through his love is to make us whole and holy. Most of us grasp wholeness to a certain extent. We hear a lot about wholeness in uh, the day and age we live in, completely detached from followers of Jesus, but we understand the concept of being whole. And I could say this, how many of you would grasp the concept that if you're having financial issues, it creates some emotional strain in your life? Or if you have emotional strain, it causes relational problems, and money causes Relational issues and professional issues cause stress over here and spiritual issues and you get it, right? Physically, if I'm not doing well, wholeness. And God's after wholeness in our lives. And for, in fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. I think a lot of times we would like it to just say our whole spirit. 
That, w- that would be better for us, just our spirit, because this is what it means to follow Jesus. Just this part right here. Jesus didn't pay attention to his emotions, didn't pay attention to finances, didn't pay attention to his, his physical life. He didn't get rest, go to Sabbath, didn't do any of those things, right? He was just spiritual, prayed all day, and did those things. Wrong. Wrong. No, he was whole. In fact, if you think about his life, he walked probably more than you and I will ever walk, miles wide. He was miles wide, whatever. Um, you know what I'm saying. And he uh, obviously uh, spent time getting away in silence and solitude and stillness. But there's also this desire that God speaks of of holiness. Now, here's another question for you. How would you right now How would you right now, with your background, how you grew up in church, uh, or or what you've perceived, how would you define holiness? Just jot that down. Think about it for just a minute. Just come up with your your definition. And then my follow-up question would be the same question that God asked Adam and Eve. Like, who told you? Who told you you were naked, right? Who told you that definition? And here's why. Because definitions drive thoughts. And thoughts drive emotions. And emotions drive behavior. So it's interesting. If we have an incorrect definition of something or an incomplete definition, we end up going in an incorrect direction. And we end up at an incorrect destination. So the majority of people I ask how they would define holiness, it comes down to words like boring, restrictive, unobtainable, hard. It's for old, older people, older saints. They, they, that's what, what, what they're about. But unfortunately, this austere and severe concept is not what we see in Scripture. It's not what we see in the life of Jesus. And our goal and God's desire in sending his son is to showcase and show us what it means to live and be whole and holy. He's our example. He's he's on display showing us what he's coming to restore in us, the restoration of humanity. And when you look at the stories of Jesus, they're captivating and riveting, and they allow you to go, that's obtainable. There is something that God wants to do inside of our hearts. There's a healing that he wants to bring to us. When Jesus is with the woman at the well, this is a nefarious situation from, from the outward. The appearance of it is not not positive. The disciples have gone off to get food, and Jesus is with this woman who is having, let's just say she's having some relational issues. Her boundaries for promiscuity are askew. And here Jesus is, uh, not only are there tensions between him uh, and her as far as just kind of where they come from, but there's also this tension that's there. But Jesus doesn't flinch. I mean, not even an inch. He 100% sees her, speaks prophetically into her heart, and she walks away, blown away. He doesn't look at her and need validation. He has an understanding of his identity and how he's loved. I mean, think about that for yourself. Have you ever gotten into a relationship? Have you ever looked to somebody else for your validation and identity? I'll answer for you, yes. Have you ever looked to stuff or money? Yeah. But God is at work bringing a restoration to our humanity. What is he doing in us? He's wanting to bring wholeness and holiness. Now let me give you a definition of holiness from Jack Hayford. This is a phenomenal definition so that we can overcome boring, restrictive, unobtainable. Holiness. 
bringing the whole life of Jesus into the whole of our lives so that the whole love of God can be relayed to the whole world. That's a, that is just a gangster definition, right? Completion in spirit, soul, and body. The absolute integrity uh, that God is wanting to do, the utter fearlessness of Jesus is incredible. Can you see that? That's what he's, that's what he's desiring to do in us. I remember uh, a few years ago, um, my brother had told me one day, he's an engineer, and he said, hey, I'm doing an integrity test uh, today on a, um, it was like a Boeing 747. We'll just say that. I don't know if it was or not, but it was a big plane. And I was like, an integrity test? How do you, how do you test the integrity of something? And he's like, oh, it's e- real easy. We put it in this huge wind tunnel. We do a stress test on it. We, we put all this force against it. And when the wing rips off, then we know its integrity level. Then we re- so we don't throw the plane away. We reinforce the area where it was weak. And when he said it, I was like, again, perspective shift. If, if integrity, the definition of the word is complete or whole, and God's desire is to birth in us an integrated whole and holy person, think about it. Do you ever have stress in your life and all of a sudden you start falling apart? Let me answer for you. Yes. That's how you know your integrity level. Does that mean God wants to throw you away? No. He wants to reinforce the areas when you get stressed that identify places where you need health, healing, wholeness, and holiness. So stress is a great way for us to learn that we are where are areas that need some attention? Are you with me? Yes, thank you so much. All right. So, so there's this picture to be made whole and holy through his love. Jesus said something in Luke 10, 26. He was, this is before he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's an expert in the religious, uh, religious law who's trying to test Jesus. And I think it's so powerful, and I'll ask a question from it, but he said to this expert in the religious law, because he's asking him, how do I inherit eternal life? He's testing him. And he says, what do the scriptures say? And how do you read it? So here's a question for you. How do you read the scripture right now in your life? Answer honestly. How do you read the scripture? Do you read it as a historical document? Do you read it as a textbook? Is it a rule book, a checklist, a guide? Is it uh, poetry? Um, is it to pass a class? Is it for you to get brownie points with God? Or, or is, is there something else going on there? Now, Scripture is so phenomenal because it's a treasure, and oftentimes it's been referred to as this gem that you turn and turn, and you keep looking more deeply into it, and it keeps bringing out more light. But if we don't practice that, and, and our perspective of Scripture is, it, you can read it historically. You can read it biographically. You can read it all kinds of ways. But let me tell you something. When you come to understand that, that God and His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they are lovers of your soul, you come to understand the affection and the intention of this book as a love letter to you, as God's desire to show you how to live the best possible way in the kingdom of God, it changes you. What's your perspective? How do you read it? It's a great question for you to wake up and to ask yourself. Now, the Bible speaks of different ways uh, to, to look at um, the diet or the food, I, we'll say the eating plan of Scripture, right? 
Um, and so many times when, I, when people hear that word, they think of what not to consume uh, or, or something that they're supposed to set aside instead of what to consume. But the Bible gives us a picture of, of Scripture as milk, bread, meat, honey. You know, early on, uh, the teachers in, that, in those classrooms uh, in, in Bet Sefer, when, when Jesus is growing up in that educational system, would pour honey over the tablet uh, where they would read scripture and text and they would have the children lick it off so that there would be an association of sweet and good. What's your association? When you, when you come to sit down in this book, is there an association of, man, this is, this is the one who, who writes poems to me who sings me ballads uh, at my doorstep, who knocks constantly? Or is there another picture? Then my, my last question is this. What is the greatest spiritual exercise for us? After reading that passage, what is it? Is it, is it evangelism? Is that the greatest spiritual exercise? Is it learning? Is it accumulating more theological depth? You know, there's a lot of movements uh, that we find in the church right now. And they're good, and, and they're not good, right? There's, there's a movement that some call therapeutic Christianity, where God wants to heal your marriage, he wants to heal your brokenness, he wants to heal your life. And that's true. That's right. But that's not it, right? Then there's the movement towards like what some would say is righteousness Christianity, the moral, no, don't, no sinning, and it's very astute. There's no joy in it. Everyone is sad, sad. And there's truth to God's desire, but then there's parts of it that, no, like he's, he's after something. It's a process. Grace plus truth over time. God's doing a work in our hearts. He's, he's restoring us. And sometimes we don't allow that. And then there's the, the truth, the truth and doctrine movement where everything's about being right and their doctrine is right and they're right and right and knowledge is king and everything else. But the Bible says, if you have all the knowledge, but you don't have love, you're just a clanging symbol. And you know what I'm talking about. We hear, hear some of those people that just can't, can't take not just telling you the right information, but they don't know him. And then there's even the move that we see now towards justice Christianity and works of justice. And it's good. But that's not the central, primary, focus thing that Jesus is and God is. The greatest spiritual exercise is love. It's love. And when, when we're invited to follow Jesus, we're invited to become whole and holy. We're invited to practice. We're invited to come. And while you're here or you're at home and you're sitting there, I want to encourage you to hear the words that I'm saying and whatever you have to liken it to. Uh, if it's sports, you know, I did not learn how to play baseball, football, swim just in a classroom, Right? That would be crazy. At some point, I had to participate. And God invites us into the holiness and wholeness that he's calling us to by practicing. But we need the right perspective. When our perspective shifts, it allows us to go, wait a minute, holiness is, is good. I want to be good. I'm, I'm struggling because I, I, I do this and I don't do that. But but God is calling me into that. He wants to repair my broken heart. He wants, to, he wants to come and speak and show me and teach me and instruct me and have me follow him. But I need a right perspective because if I think he's boring and I think it's unobtainable and I think it's something that I could never be, 
and I miss out on what he's after. And I stop practicing and I stop following. But here, here's the good news. It's that good. Every story that you read, every parable that you read is meant for you and I to go through it, to go over it, to go practice it. And let me tell you a little secret. Sometimes it's not, you're not going to get it right on the first go at it, right? You're not going to just immediately be great at forgiveness or great at, you know, uh, reaching out and, and, and loving those who are unlovable. It's going to take and require practice. I'm, th- I'm so thankful that that's what God calls us into and says, he who hears these words of mine, all my questions, all my stories, all my promises, he who hears those words and puts them into practice, he's a wise person who builds his house on the rock. When I was uh, in college, there, there was a point in time where... Um, I got a revelation of something. And I just want to, as we're closing the service, I just want to offer this up to you. Uh, because for most of my life, I had grown up in an environment that I would say was, was very, um, it was very technical. It was very religious. And I didn't want to do anything to upset God. And I knew that I was right teetering constantly. I was constantly doing something that would just I knew it. He was just going to take a lightning bolt and, and get me. But the, the common phrase was, you know, to control you, God is watching you. You know, it's like Santa Claus, is, you're on his bad list type of thing. And it was like, God is watching you. And it wasn't until I was in college that I got a revelation that was different. Now, when I was two, my parents got divorced. And so I didn't have my dad growing up. I used to see him about two or three weeks out of every year. But my dad was awesome, just showed me unconditional love. But he came to this one college baseball game. And I was in the dugout. I was, I was just getting up to get in, into the uh, on-deck circle. And somebody said this to me. They said, hey, Brad, your dad is here. Your dad is watching you. And let me just tell you what happened in my heart. I did not cower in fear. I did not, you know, get super nervous. Something happened. It was like, you know, Superman came out, or I don't know what it was. But basically, all I could feel was just this immense enthusiasm and excitement. And I got up, and to end the story, I actually hit a home run. That was really great. Thanks for the round of applause. Those of you at home, appreciate that. And it was an awesome feeling. And as I was kind of thinking about it, I mean, God was resetting uh, a framework that needed to be reset for me because he was like, this is what I want you to hear and see and feel every time you have a sense that I'm watching you. I'm not watching you to count up all your mistakes, to tell you how bad you are. I'm watching you, son, because I'm absolutely infatuated with you. I love you. And it's just like as a father, you, you see this. I was watching my four kids all playing at the beach recently, and they're just all, and I'm just sitting there. And, and, and those of you who are parents, you know, you're just like, I mean, there's moments when I'm not. I'm like, who are those kids? But there's these moments where you're like, man, that is just so awesome. I love to see them. I love to see them thriving and doing everything that they were created to do and just enjoying life. That's how God sees us. And for many of, of us, many of you, maybe your first entrance into God's kingdom, um, a relationship with God was, was kind of this way, right? Do you love God? Do you believe in God? 
have you accepted Jesus in your heart? I'd like to just frame another question. Those are all good questions, but I'd like to just put a question before those questions because I think they're important. And, and off of each of those three, you know, do you know that God believes in you? Are you aware of how much God believes in the value and the worth that he sees in you? Do you, do you absolutely know it? Do you know that God loves you? Do you wake up every day absolutely reveled and uh, founded in the reality that God loves you? The Bible talks about he sings songs over you. Do you know what song he's singing today on Sunday? What song is he singing over you? You can know that. And do you understand that he accepts you into his heart? Why is that so important? Because God's all about first. And he said, we love him because he first loved us. So the first thing that has to happen inside of us is for us to get a revelation of the reality that God believes in us, that he loves us, and that he accepts us. He doesn't always approve, but he accepts us. And those are the deepest questions of our heart. Who wants me? Who can I trust? Who am I? Why am I here? And God comes to the root of our heart, and he as a father, a good father does, he answers every one of those questions. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. And maybe you're here in some of the questions that I asked you today or you're joining us online. Maybe the answers to those questions are a little bit um, unnerving to you. Maybe they are not the depth of beauty and relationship that you'd like to see. Or maybe when it comes to a relationship with God, uh, it's more of a checklist. It's more of something to do. Well, I want you to know that where you're seated, whether you're at home joining us online or at a coffee shop or you're right here in this room, that this moment was ordained by God for you to come and encounter the reality that he loves you, that he believes in you, and that he accepts you. And if you're here and you've never had a chance to respond to that love, to respond to that goodness, to respond to any of that, and you would like to, I'm just going to ask you, feel a stir in your heart, just to raise your hand real quick. Lift up your hand. If you join us online, you can just click the little icon there. We want to pray for you. Thank you. Let's pray this out loud. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for believing in us. God, we receive your love today. We receive it at the depth of every area in our heart that is broken. We receive it in the areas that we feel unworthy, that we feel like we just can't measure up. But God, we receive it because it is good news to us. Father, thank you for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We accept his goodness and his love. Father, we thank you for making us new. And Lord, for giving us new perspectives, new ways of seeing and understanding. Lord, I pray for every person that is under the sound of my voice. God, I pray that they would come to redefine words like holiness at such a more beautiful and deep level. Lord, would you help us to see the wholeness and the holiness that you desire to work out in us through your love. God, I pray that we'd understand that as we grow in you, Lord, it's not about chalking church services or hours in prayer alone, but God, indeed, it's about getting a perspective shift, our mindsets shifting, our language coming 
into alignment with yours. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you for taking time. If uh, you prayed that prayer, you're joining us online. Would you text the word Jesus to 24587? And again, if you're a first-time guest, uh, you can text the word BEGIN to 24587. We'd love to just come alongside of you, pray for you, get some resources into your hand, and help set you out on the journey of what it means to follow the rock star rabbi who is the teacher known as Jesus because he is the ultimate one who will show us and instruct and guide us on how to live life beyond our wildest imaginations. All right? So make sure that you do that. Thanks for joining us. Have an awesome week. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.